Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in and check out the questions. First up, over on Floatplane, the importer wanted to share a story about how they purchased four of Retrobit's USB Sega Saturn controllers, and half of them, two, ended up dying within two years. And I kind of have mixed feelings about that, because on the one hand, the, the shells are very comfortable. I feel like the shells of these controllers, and I own a few myself, feel almost identical to the original. And even the ones where they added triggers to the six-button Genesis 2-style controller, those triggers felt natural. It didn't feel like they were forced in that design. So the shells were comfortable. They performed well, both in USB latency as well as just how they worked when I used them. It seems like yours worked pretty well uh, also up until the point that they didn't. So what you're really talking about is a company that's able to make these controllers at a price point of around 20 bucks, 25, I think is what they're going for now. And yeah, you had half of them die, but you also didn't spend a lot to have a pretty good experience for two years. Some of them are lasting even longer. And as you said, you could use the parts to swap out with original controllers. So if you have a damaged or cracked original controller, now you could take that broken retro bit one and swap it around. The importer mentioned they'd swapped out the colored buttons um, with... Uh, the translucent ones. So that's pretty cool. So I don't know. I kind of go back and forth about my opinions on these things because if this was supposed to be a quality product where something like the Joys, which I know that's comparing apples and oranges here because the Joys is a wireless controller, but it's still the intent. Crix tried to design that as best as he possibly could to make a product that wasn't necessarily cheap, didn't have cost in mind, it just had quality and performance in mind, and that's why those things were 75 bucks. Whereas Retrobit, and once again, you know, wired versus wireless, but Retrobit seemed to approach this as, let's try to make the most cost-effective solution that performs as well as possible. And it sounds like, they, at least in the first run of them, they sacrificed longevity for cost, but didn't sacrifice anything else. The performance and the quality of the build and of the shells were still there. So, you know, you might not agree. I might change my mind a couple of weeks from now, but I kind of feel like it's just the way it is, and I don't really have a problem with that. If they were $50 controllers, I'd have a major issue with it, or if all of them died, but it's just kind of par for the course these days. I had that Hyperkin NES controller that was great, and then it just stopped working one day for no apparent reason. And, you know, on the flip side, we have controllers that are 30 or 40 years old that work fine. So um, I agree it's annoying, but I don't know. You get what you pay for, and I think for a $25 controller, it's pretty good. Scotter140 said they've heard me say that component video and SCART are the same quality. Since they discovered My Life in Gaming's RGB Masterclass, they always thought that SCART was superior. Are they misunderstanding something? Yeah, I think you are, but this is confusing, so I completely understand what you might be mixing up. Um, to answer your question directly, the signals RGB and component video are identical in quality. And a good example of this is if you have a Super Nintendo with a shielded RGB SCART cable and a Super Nintendo with the HD Retrovision component video cables, they're going to look identical everywhere, on your monitor, on your scaler. And the only time it wouldn't look identical is if you have something like an RGB monitor that's already calibrated to RGB inputs but not component but that's the monitor. That's not the signal. That's just a coincidence. 
But there are situations where it would make a difference. I think the original Xbox is a great example, and uh, maybe even the PlayStation 3, I believe, falls in the same category, in that you can get RGB SCART cables for both of those consoles. But because of the way the consoles are made, you could only get up to 480i out of SCART on those consoles. So no matter what, even if it's the most shielded, perfect cable, you're limited to 15 kilohertz, 480i. Whereas on those consoles, if you use component video, you could get 480i, 480p, 720p, 1080i, and I think 1080p even in the context of the PS3. So when there's the same signal available, they're the same quality. It's only in situations where you run into stuff like you can't get the full progressive scan 480 resolution or higher from whatever the analog video output is on the standard outputs like that. So that's really the only time they're going to make a difference. Or if you take something like a junky shielded $2 AliExpress SCART cable and compare it to a very well shielded HD retrovision cable, you know, but once again, that's you're not talking about the signals, you're talking about the cables. So it is confusing. And the other thing you have to remember is you seemed frustrated that you thought maybe you bought the wrong one. I don't think there's really a difference overall in price because while there are more things out there that could switch component video, quality is always going to be up in the air. And on top of that, you're probably going to want stuff designed for retro gaming just to cover any of the weird use cases. And a perfect example is you could pick up an Extron Crosspoint switch super cheap, get a big bag of BNC converters so you could just plug all of your component video solutions into it. But then you're also going to have to worry about getting the Phoenix connectors for RCA audio. You'd have to buy them or make your own. And if you also wanted to route something like composite video through, you probably wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think I've ever successfully ran that through a cross point. Whereas if you spend the money and you get something like a G-Comp switch, you have eight ports in that are auto switching to two ports that you could simultaneously use. It has inputs for YPVPR, so component video, but it also has inputs for composite video, should you want to run RGBS or just composite video, video through it, and it already has the two RCA connectors for left and right audio. So depending on your situation, buying the more expensive G-Comp might be the perfect solution for you. It might not either. There's, that's why I'm kind of glad there's choices. So while, yes, you could choose to go out and buy a $10 switch component video switch that may or may not add a bunch of interference, you could also choose to go out and buy a $10 SCART switch that will definitely add interference. I've tested those over the years. So overall, the only solution or the only choice that you should be making between RGB and component video is what's best for your total setup. So just an example, let's say you have a Wii uh, and you have a PlayStation 3 and an Xbox that you all want to run through. You want to run all of them into a, a auto switching setup and then you're going to throw in a Super Nintendo and a Genesis. Use component video because you could use one switch for everything and not have to worry about formats. And alternatively, if you have something like a Genesis, a Super Nintendo, an RGB modded NES, a Master System, a PlayStation 1, and oh, by the way, I want to use PlayStation 2, 
technically they're the same and you could get signal uh, equal amount of signals out of both but if you're using a gscart switch one of the newer ones you could use an rgb cable for a playstation 2 use the auto sync on green thing which it's a conversation for another time and now you could stick with all scart not because scart would be better out of a playstation 2 but because you're adding the seventh console all through the same switch so you don't need to toggle inputs or anything like that so hopefully i clarified that i tried not to go on too much of a ramp but i also didn't want to give too little information and leave you guessing also um you asked a second question that i don't have an answer to they said uh do i know anybody in the massachusetts area that could mod crts or other consoles and stuff and i i really don't i don't keep up with who's doing pro mods who's just modding for themselves and their friends to make things even harder as i follow a lot of people on social media that do mods and i could never remember who's just showing off the mods they did for themselves and their buddies or who's an actual mod service so i'm going to leave that to the community to answer uh, anybody in the massachusetts area that uh, that knows people who take on mod work maybe leave a note in the comments for scotter to take a look at but sorry i just i'm not trying to be intentionally vague i just honestly don't know who to refer anybody to these days um, and as always when you're checking out a new modder just ask to see examples of their work you don't need to go crazy and ask for a full resume and background check. But if you just say like, hey, you know, what have, what work have you done? And they send you an Instagram page that has a ton of mod pics. There's your proof right there. And if they get all testy with you, like, I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. And how dare you ask? Use somebody else. Because if they had skills that they were proud of, they would be glad to show you. And that's all generalizations, obviously. But, you know, it's a kind of good rule of thumb when you're approaching stuff like this. Over on Patreon, a couple of questions from the Keith. First, they have a few original Kickstarter edition HD Retrovision cables and was wondering if the version they sell now have any meaningful changes from the first few batches. That's an easy answer. If they're working for you now, there's zero reason to upgrade. They're all equally as well shielded. They're all equally as well performing as far as video quality. But over the years, Stee has found some very weird use cases where he was able to tweak the circuit to compensate for any problems that were the fault of the console or weird setups or something. It was not very common, and although it's always great and appreciated that any developer is constantly tweaking and updating their products... Uh, if everything works and looks good, there's zero reason to upgrade. Uh, and that, that goes for any of the HD retrovision cables at all. So um, good question, though. And second, they've taken up the mantle of teaching themselves Wii U repairs and have noticed in the last few years, parts on the market are shifting from new and boxed to used from cannibalized systems. Do I know of a site where Wii U fans with a bit of technical know-how trade modding ideas so that in the future the system can have a bit of an aftermarket to keep them running? Um, you know, I don't know of anything now. Uh, I keep talking about the wiki. I know I have. I, it's annoying. I, I understand that. But we, we really are getting the infrastructure finished. I hope to launch that and hope to have it, as the very least, as a place that people can post facts. And, and once again, just the overview of the wiki is like Wikipedia, but for retro gaming and you know retro monitors, PCs, and all of that stuff. So no opinions, just the facts. And, you know, here's links, here's technical information. So, and I also don't plan on having any kind of forum or discord to go with that because I find that people like to hang out where they hang out. So that's the type of thing where 
find a place where you pe- where we you people hang out. I almost felt I almost said find a place where you people hang out. <laughs> where where we you people and fans hang out. Uh use that to chat and then hopefully the wiki could be the place where you archive all the information that's proven as fact that people can reference. So uh, hopefully hopefully at least We'll eventually point you in the right direction for that and answer the HD Retrovision comment. So uh, thanks very much for the kind words, and uh, hopefully I got your questions right. Alex S. had a few questions. First, they recently had a Wii donated to them that boots and gets past the seizure warning, but freezes as soon as it gets into the main menu after a few seconds. And uh, Alex wanted to know if I had any suggestions about that. I don't have too much experience fixing Wii's because the main work I've done on them is either soft modding or fix people's failed soft mod attempts, attempts but I've never had anything like that happen. My first troubleshooting uh, steps would always be the same. Check your power supply, unplug all accessories and see if it still does it, and then if there's a fan in there, make sure the fan's spinning. And past that, I would have to defer to the Wii community because um, I just have never run into that issue. Also, Alex said uh, they ordered an HDMI cable from the Amazon page, and it arrived with a promo to get a 99% discount if they sent them an email with the specified subject line. They emailed them from a burner account because they were skeptical, and they replied with their request for their order ID, name on the order, and order address. They can't really think of how this info could be used to target or harm them, but just wanted to ask my opinion. Well, first, to be clear... um, I link to those cables uh, and all of the stuff on the Amazon page because I have tested them myself and because they're good. Uh, and, you know, I would stand by them as if it were any product that I talk about. But when you come from project or when you buy products from Amazon, it doesn't always necessarily come from the same sellers, even if it's the same exact product. And sometimes sellers pull a switcheroo or even manufacturers and you get something that looks the same that has different guts inside. So that's something you always have to remember about anything you buy from Amazon, not just the links that I post or anything like that. So I don't really know who the seller is or why they would do that. But if I'm just going to speculate here, that sounds like that they're just trying to get your information to send you more more reasons to buy stuff. So yeah, here's your 99% discount, but I'm going to spam you twice a week with cables and, you know, maybe send you a um a flyer for something. I wouldn't do it, but I have, you know, I got trust issues. I talk about that all the time. I don't I don't randomly send my info out to places, which I know is dumb because your cell phones are listening to you. You know, anybody who's listening to this podcast, you know, knows that I'm in New York City and stuff like that, but I just I don't like to just hand that out there. Right? It's the same reason that you lock your doors at night. Anybody could just kick that door in super easy, but you still lock it because it's one step of deterrent. You're not inviting people in. And I think it's the same stuff uh, when it comes to things like this. Now, if that 99% discount was on something that was 100 bucks, I might take that risk. But for an $8 cable, I probably wouldn't. But that's totally up to you, and those are just my opinions and my 100% speculation The Amazon store could be totally legit and they just want to verify that it's actually you asking for the discount and not, you know, somebody that just, you know, anybody could email them based on that criteria. So I don't know. That's just guesses, but uh, I wouldn't. (laughs) Two questions from the Remora. First, they're preparing to start purchasing RGB cables for the consoles they believe will benefit most because they're going to an Extron crosspoint. Would I recommend purchasing retro access cables with built-in sync strippers or building the few Extron SCART adapters they need that are posted over on GitHub? 
So this is just my opinion, but if I were doing what you were doing, I would get all cables that were C-Sync, and uh, that's not a sync stripper. That's sync on the C-Sync pin for all consoles that uh, that offer that. And I believe the only ones that don't would be PAL Super Nintendo, PAL GameCube, which you probably would want to use a different solution for that anyway, like the component video cables or an HDMI solution, and PlayStation 2. Uh, one and two, I guess. And in those cases, I would use sync on Luma cables for the PlayStation and use an external adapter to add a sync stripper to it, like the many open source boards that are available. And the reason for that is because any other SCART equipment that you're going to won't be a problem at all. You don't need to worry about sync strippers. Um, you don't need to think about it. And if you stack multiple sync strippers, so depending on what devices you're going into, it might shift the image over and stuff like that. So I just think it's best to do it without that. I mean, there's, it, anytime you're talking about analog anything, adding one more thing in the chain could potentially cause an issue. Now, it might be something that's a 0.00001% issue, or it might be something like it shifts the image over half an inch. But either way, I just... It's a. It seems like a waste of money for something that you wouldn't need. I would address the problem on the crosspoint side of things, like the adapter, and not anything else. The only scenario in which I would not think that that's the right way is if that you were buying custom cables from Retro Access that are console to BNC to go directly into the crosspoint. And in that scenario, if they could fit a sync stripper in, sure, get a sync on Luma cable that has a sync stripper, because at that part of it, you're going to BNC equipment. So you're going to cross points, you're going directly into RGB monitors, you don't have to worry about the weirdness of SCART. So that would be the only other scenario. And you could do that, RetroAccess will make them. They're expensive, but they're good quality. So it's just depending on if you really want to use a cross point, just having them made like that from retro access might be your best bet. It'll be expensive, but it'll be super easy. Then just get one of those screwdrivers that screws in the BNC ports. I'll try to link to the one that I bought, but you'll once you see it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, second question, would it make sense with the PS2 or 3 to get custom BNC cables and set the output to YPBPR? Um, no, I would just buy an HD Retrovision cable and get some BNC adapters for those. It would be cheaper. The HD Retrovisions are super shielded. And you say your only hangup is you don't need a full six foot cable, but you're buying a cable that you know is shielded and well-made. Whereas if you're buying a short, uh, you know, any kind of any kind of custom cable would be more expensive, so you could have Retro Access make you a custom cable that's a shorter length, but that's going to be more expensive. Any other solution you have, you're going to really be dependent on the quality of the build. So it's my pretty strong opinion that why mess with the good thing? You know, loop the cables nicely for cable management, but that six-foot HD Retrovision cable is going to perform super well, and all you need is a cheap bag of BNC adapters, and you're done, and you could run component video right through it. So that would definitely be my strong suggestion on that side but you certainly could get custom PlayStation 2 to BNC cables made at your exact correct length from Retro Access. Uh, it's just an extra cost and something that you may or may not want to do. A few questions from Adam, Adam Ant. First, they just bought a new 4K LG TV, and when they tested it with a time sleuth, they read lag at the top left of the screen as 14 milliseconds. 
They took it out of auto low latency mode and that time went to 100 milliseconds, so they know that auto low latency is definitely working. Is this normal for flat panels or are they being too picky? Well, there's a bunch of different answers to this. First, in my pretty strong opinion, 14 milliseconds is low and I don't think most people would ever have to worry. Your average gamer can't really detect around two frames of lag, so double that, and even most Real enthusiast gamers can't detect under a frame, and 14 milliseconds is less than 16.5, one frame in NTSC world, so I don't think you'll ever have any problems with that. But if you can get it lower for free, it's worth spending a few moments trying. So I would go into that menu. Um, LG TVs have a bunch of sub-menus too. It's annoying, just be patient and click on everything, check every menu, and turn off anything on the video side that has an off button. So any kind of extra processing, try manually enabling game mode, set sharpness to zero, just all of that stuff and see what happens. If you do that and it reads 13 milliseconds, but then you lose a function that you liked, turn it back on. But if you do all that and now it says five milliseconds, you might never know the difference, but the peace of mind that you, you saved that much lag why not, right? If you're gonna get it, if you're gonna get a boost in performance for free, go for it. So I would never worry about 14 milliseconds affecting your gaming experience unless you're like a pro Tetris NES player or something like that. If you were, you'd be most likely playing on a CRT anyway. So 14 milliseconds is fine, but if you can get it lower for free, why not? Great question. Does the time sleuth only outputting 1080p cause the lag to go up due to the fact that the panel has to scale it to its native resolution? So the answer is yes, but it doesn't really matter. And at the very least, it hasn't mattered any time I've tested. Whenever you take a panel and you run it in its native resolution versus other progressive scan resolutions, I don't think I've ever seen a difference bigger than three milliseconds, and often it's usually just a one millisecond difference, if any. But obviously, interlaced versus progressive is a huge deal. But that's not what you're talking about, and you don't have to worry about that with the time sleuth. Um, so I, I would say in the scenario that you're talking about, no, I would not worry about having to run it at the native resolution at all. Um, also, this is their first 4K television. Would it be prudent for them to use an M Classic on the output of their 1x16 HDMI switch since it converts everything to 4K? It does not convert everything to 4K. It's actually one of the many reasons I hate the M Classic. They're really shady marketing. Um, if you mean your HDMI switch converts everything to 4K, I would run that. I would run the time sleuth through that. So plug the time sleuth into the HDMI switch, set the input and retest just to make sure. Uh, but I think you're referencing the M cable, M cable, M classic, same thing. And you're going to want to check their specs here. It will pass through 4K, 4K 60 to be, uh, to be specific, not 4K 120, but it'll pass through that. So it won't change it. But 1080p 120 gets passed as 1080p 120. 1080p 60 gets passed at either 1080p or 1440p, I think depending on modes, but that's not a 4K scaler, and depending on the game and how your TV looks, you might not want it to go to 1440 before going to 4K. It will supposedly upscale 1080p 30 to 2160p 30. So uh, I don't really know that a scenario in which that would matter, but that's how they could legally get away with saying it scales to 4K, but that's not going to be something you run into 
with retro gaming because even if a game like Sonic runs at 30 frames per second, it's still outputting a 60 kilohertz signal. So you're st- even though the game is technically being scaled to 1080p 30, the output of like the OSSC and RetroTank would be still 1080p 60. So, um, you know, I think I'm glad you asked the question, though, because I think now people might start to see a little bit more about why I always complain about those cables uh, is it's not really that there's a problem with the cables because they don't add any lag. I'll leave a link in the description to me lag testing. I think I did both, but I'll just I'll grab the first link I find it doesn't add any lag. And the worst thing that could happen is you you don't like the signal that or the way it changes the signal. And it won't work at all if you send it 4K 120. So it's not like it'll ruin it. You'll know something's wrong and you'll, you know, you'd probably know to take it out. So there is no problem with the M Classic. There's just a problem with their marketing. It doesn't make a big difference in most scenarios. It's retro edition doesn't do much over other scalers that are out there. And in most cases, you need to run through those other scalers anyway to get it to HDMI to go into it. So I cannot stand those cables at all. I don't like their shady marketing. I don't like how they how they imply that it does all of these things it can't. But if you like it, uh, and I certainly did like it in the scenario of games that the original Xbox can natively render in 720p, I thought it really did look good in that scenario. Credit where credit's due. So if you need to use it for stuff like that, that you definitely like the way it changes the games to look, go for it. But it does not scale to 4K, and very often it'll probably do nothing at all. So not shaming you for using it, I, I, not by any means. I just wanted to make sure I set your expectations straight the way Marseille never does when talking about their own products. So just wanted to be, I figured you'd appreciate the honesty rather than try to tiptoe around it. But the direct answer to your question is if uh, uh, I don't think it would be prudent to use that at all, but if you wanted to try it, it shouldn't take away from anything uh, other than maybe it does some smoothing and when you wouldn't want it, but it's not going to hurt the experience at all. Uh, and also, thank you very much for the kind words. Much appreciated. Kayak said they're learning to solder, and their first video game-related project will be to replace a battery in a Game Boy game. My question is, what projects can I do afterwards as I want to do console mods eventually? Are there two or three more projects before working on console mods, or can I jump into the mods after? Also, is there a list of easiest to hardest consoles to mod? Um, so that's kind of a tricky one. The battery is not easy, but it's not the hardest either. So, you know, go for it, give it a shot. Um, I think that one of the easiest mods out there is the amp mod for the SNES mini. So it's Nest Junior, whatever you want to call it, because you drop the board right over the pins of the multi out. That's super easy to solder. If you're using a Syncon composite video cable, you only need to connect three wires to that. And then you connect uh, the three wires to the pads on the mod board. That's pretty easy. And then you just need to get them into the vias, use some flux to make it easier, cut the wires down so they're not a mess of wad of wires. But overall, I, I kind of find that one to be one of the easiest ones to do. But you listed a few others on there. Um, you listed PlayStation 1. I don't think there's any easy mods for that. Uh, AV Famicom, super easy if you wanted to do like a composite video mod. Just look up the different choices. Uh, but the RGB mod's going to be complicated. 
you already mentioned SNES Junior, so I would start with that one. Dreamcast. Um, if you check out my Dreamcast tips and tricks video, and, and check out Voltars too. We both we disagree about one thing, but there's no wrong answer for that. It's whatever you prefer, and those mods are pretty easy, except the DC Digital. That one's tough. But things like changing the battery, you know, um, all of the little things that I show in there should be fairly easy. And same thing with the Saturn. They're, especially if you have any mods that go on the bottom of the Saturn, they're rough. So you're really walking into looking to do things that are definitely not beginner skill level. So I would start very small and very slowly work your way up just so you don't accidentally ruin something. Uh, and one suggestion I always give people is go find junk electronics somewhere, something that's broken and doesn't work and practice. So like in the case of the SNES Junior, Find vias anywhere on this board that are about the same size and grab some flex, uh, not flex cable, I'm sorry, ribbon cable and practice cutting the ends off, practice tinning them, practice with the flux and trying to, to feed them all in and you're going to get it wrong. But if it's a piece of junk electronics that you didn't really care about or was going in the garbage anyway, then fine. That's the perfect thing to test on and ruin and then go do your cables. So... I would start with the SNES Junior RGB mod and then kind of go from there. The The SNES Junior digital audio mod isn't too hard, but you're still soldering to a lot smaller components uh, depending on... Uh, well, no, I think most of those are vias as well. So that would probably be the second one I would do. But I would also just grab some junk equipment and practice on that just kind of just to ease yourself into it and get used to some of the processes. A couple of questions from Jason Guffey. First, a few years ago, they ordered an Eon Mark II, and it recently stopped outputting video. It only outputs audio. They'd like any suggestions and any ways they could possibly fix it without having to buy a new product. And it, I would only say uh, cut it open and see if you could see a mechanical failure somewhere. There, I believe, were some build issues with those, as well as some of their other products. Uh, and when people had cut them open, they were able to very cleanly see what the problem was and how to fix it. So I would, uh, you know, I would cut it open and see. Hopefully, it's something that you could just solder back together, then glue the case back together, tape it up, whatever, and go from there. But you know, I would kind of go into this thinking that you're probably going to have to buy a newer adapter afterwards. Sorry, but uh, you know. For such an expensive device, it should have lasted a lot longer than two years, but hopefully it's just a mechanical thing and you're able to fix it. Uh, next, a while back they came across a Sega game for the original Xbox called Gun Valkyrie that won't output 480p on only their model Xbox. So it's apparently not one of the games like Family Guy that only outputs 480p on all versions of the original Xbox, but it's one that only outputs for, uh, 480i on one specific revision. I'd actually never heard of that before, or, or if I heard about it, it's not something that I really, uh, it's not something that stuck with me. And there are things like certain Dreamcast games that only run in, uh, you know, in 480i and certain GameCube and certain Wii games as well. And, you know, most of the PlayStation 2 library. But unless I'm remembering wrong, which is possible, it's been a, kind of a busy week, but I don't think I've ever 
researched or been part of a situation where it was a model revision that messed with it. So that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I'd like to learn more about that just out of my own curiosity. So if anybody has any solid links with, you know, as always with proof behind it and stuff like that, we don't want another scenario like the Genesis 3 doesn't output RGB. It does. It's just most of the cables that people were using couldn't get all the way through the hole for it. So, you know, hopefully it's solid info and uh, not stuff like that. But I would I'd really love to know why. And I'm just kind of curious about that as well. Uh, lastly, what you've been drinking, anything I can get near Chicago, ever have anything from Goose Island? Uh, so Goose Island, I can sometimes find around here. And generally speaking, if it's a darker beer, I'll give it a try. What I've been drinking recently is the New York City Curse. So before I moved here, I never realized that I think it's all of New York State. You can't buy beer at the same place that you buy wine. So uh, beer is sold in supermarkets and bodegas, corner stores, but wine, you know, wine and liquor are sold at liquor stores with a few exceptions. So in all of the places around New York, whenever I wanted good and unique beers, I would just go to the giant liquor store and, you know, each city had at least one and there would be a huge selection of different beers, wines and liquors and all that stuff. In New York City, they don't have that. You can get fancy wine, you can get fancy liquor, but if you really want different types of beer, you got to really look for the specialty shops. But in most cases, unless you live right by one, you're getting whatever the local store has. Uh, there is a Morton Williams next to me that has a decent selection of beer, but um, I really just go with whatever dark that they have in stock. So recently it's been Newcastle a lot, uh, just because it's the darkest one they have there. We, uh, we went to see the latest Fast and the Furious movie. So uh, anybody that's a fan of those movies knows you can have any beer you'd like as long as it's a Corona. So we've had a, uh, had a case of Corona just to, to celebrate the silliness of that ridiculous movie. It was so dumb and I loved it just because it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a life-changing story. It's supposed to be a stupid movie that you smile at. That's exactly what we did. Um, so I don't have any good drinking recommendations lately, unfortunately, at all. But uh, if I'm able to get to the burbs, one of the things I'm definitely looking forward to if I'm able to move is going to be or going to places that you could get cool beers. Because a lot of these places, even if, you know, not in New York City, if you really like something, they'll order a case of it. And at the very least, you could buy a full case. Or if it's something they might have interest in stocking, you could just ask if they'll order it and, you know, people like it, they'll keep stocking it. So hopefully I'll be able to have some good beer recommendations in the next six months or geez, hopefully sooner than that. But uh, if not, I'm just stuck to whatever the bodegas got or whatever the Morton Williams has and hope for the best. Um, sometimes they get Guinness, which is nice too, but yeah, I'm really boring on the beer choices in the past few months. Good question, but uh, got nothing for you. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. There weren't as many questions as usual, but if there were ever a week for less questions, it should be this one because it is a million degrees in the air and I'm very much looking forward to turning my air conditioning back on. Uh, so as always, thanks to everybody who participates and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible because without your support, these Q&As, the weekly podcast, the website, the research, and everything else I'm a part of would never happen. So thank you all so much and I'll see you next week and hopefully it'll be less humid and uh, oppressively hot as it is this week. <laughs>